Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Oh, hey, welcome back to the Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast. I am I am a rogue host. I am not who you're expecting. This is not Liz. This is not Matt. Uh, this is merely Andy Barron's coming to you, and I am excited because we have an episode today in which we have reunited the old fantasy football live injury squad. Everybody is back together. This is going to be really fun. Um, I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be informative. Certainly, we are joined by, like, like by far, by orders of magnitude, the two most uh, distinguished and thoroughly educated people to appear on the Yahoo Fantasy platform. I would say ever. <laughs> Uh, this is Dr. Gregory Horner, orthopedic surgeon with Tri-Valley Orthopedic Specialists. He is a former Northwestern University football player, so he's got that angle covered. And we're joined by Dr. Sarah Edwards, an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. Uh, she is with UCSF Ortho. She has also served as a team physician across multiple sports for multiple schools. Um, so this should be an interesting conversation. Uh, first of all, both of you, how have you been? Uh, it's been a, It's been a minute. Well, it's been good on my side. Um, I know Sarah's doing well. We talk periodically, but it's good to see you again, Andy. Yeah, it's great to see you, Andy. Thanks for having us on. So I just want to warn listeners right here at the top, this is not the podcast where we're going to have a bunch of player-specific fantasy discussions, right? There are no there are no sleepers here. Uh, I'm not going to give you anybody to fade or target on this episode these doctors uh, cannot tell you who specifically is going to injure what ligament in whichever week of the season. They are doctors. They are not visitors from the future. It's that like, it's not <laughs> what we're doing here. Uh, if you are not, for whatever reason, interested in a general conversation on the weird amount, the elevated injury risk in the season ahead in the time of COVID, uh, then you can probably tap out right now because I have warned you, this is, again, there's not going to be a list of players at any point in this pod. That's not how this one is going to work. Um, we are we are just absolutely not in a normal NFL offseason. Um, we've had virtual OTAs. We've had uh, teams meeting with players via Zoom and Skype. And um, the Hall of Fame game already canceled. The preseason is probably going to be truncated. Uh, it's not since the lockout, which was, which was nine years ago, have, have players been more, I would say, disconnected from their teams, uh, during off season training, uh, as they are right now. Uh, my, my lingering memory from the lockout, from the, from the days immediately after the 2011 lockout is that, um, as soon as we returned to camp, 
a, a lot of people suffered serious injuries. Um, fantasy players will probably remember that Mikel Lashore suffered an AC or not an ACL, but an Achilles tear almost right away. Um, in fact, we had we had a dozen Achilles injuries in the first three weeks of training camp, um, which is like which is like a full season's worth of that injury in the first three weeks. So I guess the first question I just want to throw out there for you guys. And again, this has been a different off season than that one, but you know, it's probably the closest, uh, comp. Um, is it reasonable to expect that we are going to see another huge wave of injuries right away, uh, off, off the fact that we've just not had normal training buildups for each of these players. I'll start with Dr. Edwards. Uh, thanks Andy. Yes, I do think it's completely expected. It's being talked about in the sports medicine world now um, from everything from baseball to football, every sport that's kind of had this long pause that the athletes aren't used to um, are anticipating an increase in Tommy John injuries for baseball. Um, Definitely in football, an increase in Achilles, hamstring, ACL tears. Um, Those have been shown to be, you know, problems if people aren't conditioned at a nice, slow, even rate. So I think, yes, people are anticipating it and expecting it and trying to think of ways to help prevent it. Uh, Dr. Horner, I assume that uh, I assume you concur. Yeah, no, I totally concur. Um, I think we're going to see some some injuries. It it probably will be similar to 2011. Um, And what's interesting about 2011 is it it was not actually evenly spread those 12 injuries. It was mostly in the much younger athletes. The average Hmm. experience for those who had an ACL injury in 2011 was a year and 1.5 years, whereas the average in general is around six years. It's usually the more senior athletes who get these injuries because it's more of a degenerative injury. Uh, but for the younger players, especially this year, because they're you know in the lockdown, depending on where they are in the country, they might not be out as much. It's probably harder to get the training in. And then a lot of them, the younger folks, they, they just don't understand what they're about to go through. This is their first year in the NFL. The older guys are thinking about that. They're preparing for it. And so those younger injuries are the ones we can expect to see. Yeah, that's interesting that you would point that out. I think um, I think Mikel Lashore, which is, again, the one that I remember from the time, was a really young player, either coming into his first or second season back then. It, it is it is interesting. To, it's speculative, but it's interesting to think of that in terms of the, the players who've been around the block a little bit. You've played five years in the league, six years in the league. You know how to get yourself ready for a full season. You know what an off you know that you're still at work during the offseason. I assume you're 20, 21, 22 years old. You think of yourself as just absolutely invulnerable to uh, to that sort of injury, that sort of catastrophic injury. Um, I'm, I'm, so I'm wondering, can you just sort of describe the the importance of a of a normal slow buildup in training, uh, specifically in football? You yourself have been through it as a player, uh, Doctor Edwards. Uh, of course, you've been through it as a team physician. What is like, what is the summer and spring supposed to look like as they get ready to to go full speed and go full contact? Well, you know, that's that's what's interesting. You hear these voluntary workouts, you know, so um, and I most of my experience is at the college level. But, you know, they they're working out. They really maybe get two weeks off at the end of school to go home and be with their families and they're back early June for voluntary workouts. These are not mandatory, but 
you know, most of the team will be back. They have a nice slow ramp up, uh, sometimes not so slow. Sometimes, depending on their strength coach, strength and conditioning program, um, it's pretty intense, the ramp up. But, uh, you know, there, there's a good three month or two month lead up until they start official camp. Um, and that's really going to be minimized this season. You know, they're not going to have that nice, slow workout. I know, you know, some of the pro teams back now, NBA, you know, they're, they're trying to do it. Uh, NHL is having voluntary workouts. I was speaking to a colleague who's an NHL physician yesterday, and he said maybe half the guys have come back for voluntary workouts. That's unusual too. Normally you have 100% participation, even though they are quote unquote voluntary they're not all coming back right now because of COVID and sometimes based on where they live or the restrictions. So, so, you know, even at the professional level, you're not seeing that kind of buy-in like, like they're used to. It's going to be an issue. Uh, Dr. Horner, what do you think, like, what are the things that a responsible team uh, would have been doing over the past three months or so to, to mitigate injury risk in camps? You know, Andy, (laughs) I was thinking that same question right before you asked what would you do? Uh, you're in a situation that's never happened before. Even the infectious disease doctors have been completely caught off guard by this entire thing. And it's all happening right around the time when football players have to start preparing and start their gradual buildup. So I think that you, you know, each team has, uh, you know, physiologists and, and, um, or when I say physios, I mean like the physical therapists, the trainers, and the folks who are supposed to be working on building up your muscle, muscle balance, um, and game timing of your muscles uh, as it pertains to reaction time. Um, and that plays a big role because your tendons have a tendency to build up their strength um, in a manner that lags behind muscle strength. So you build up your muscle strength and gradually build up that tendon strength as well. If that isn't done properly, I believe that it does increase your risk of tendon injuries. Um, But I have to be honest with you, I I don't think that anyone can truly prepare because each individual athlete's situation under a shelter-in situation may vary. Um, And you don't know what's at their disposal for training, who they can work with, who they can get close to while they're training. There's so many variables that I'm not sure that you can predictably uh, anticipate that they'll all be ready. I even tried, I I reached out to some sports, uh, some of the higher level collegiate strength coaches I know. And, and that was all over the board. Some said, you know, I, oh, I can get them ready to play in two weeks. All I need is two weeks. And other people are (laughs) saying that that was one. (laughs) The others were saying, you know, oh, I need, I need six to eight weeks to really ramp them up to get them ready for camp. You know, so I think there's that was the more consistent, you know, uh, thing that I heard was a six to eight week ramp up. It seems like on the NFL level, they are communicating with them via Skype, encouraging the workouts. But again, unless they are injured, they have been kept away from their facilities that they're used to. So it's been really it's going to be interesting. I have heard in the news about some of the guys are training together, you know, and then there's been COVID outbreaks within those small training pods, which is, you know, so I think some of the, I think it was some of the Tennessee Titans maybe were training together in an off, off campus facility. And they, you know, there was an outbreak amongst them. So it's, it's, they're trying to train together. Yeah. This, 
so this would get us into into a, a COVID conversation a little bit. But I, I like I think Tom Brady's little training group is probably the the most uh, the most well recognized. Um, he's made a lot of news for bringing players together. Um, the NFLPA itself doesn't seem entirely thrilled necessarily by the the level of uh, the lack of distancing, perhaps in that in that training group and and. Uh, so some of the pronouncements that Brady himself seems to have uh, made on on social media, uh, it, it, should we feel like should we feel worried about that? Should we feel good about their dedication to craft um, or, or just more than anything concerned about about safety and distancing right now? Uh, you know, personally, I think that what happens, I mean, these are young, healthy people, right? So if they become COVID positive, there is a very high likelihood that they'll be asymptomatic, like the vast majority of professional athletes who have come out. Um, they have so much functional reserve that they they seem to show very little symptoms. So what's happening this far out probably isn't going to make a huge difference, maybe even be beneficial if they get exposed because they're going to have the antibodies, maybe, if the antibodies happen to confer uh, immunity as we kind of hypothesize that they do. But as we get closer to the season, that's going to play a big role, right? Because if you become positive in the middle of the season, you know, A, you could be infected. The whole team could be taken out um, and certainly your position. Uh, and that's going to cause some serious possibility of, of asterisks during this season. <laughs> that's, I've been reading about this, the, the intensity of the contact tracing that is going to happen this season is unlike anything we've ever seen in sports medicine. So just reading what they are planning to do to help prevent these outbreaks, it's unbelievable. From a sports medicine perspective, it's Herculean, you know, it's, it's such an effort to make this happen. And it's pretty impressive to see all the people coming together to try, to really try to make it happen. And I agree with Greg Horner here that, you know, luckily, you know, these guys are elite athletes. And if they become positive, the chance of them having a really negative outcome, I believe is low. Uh, I am worried about the support staff probably more than the athletes. You know, you yeah. get some of the coaches with comorbidities and mm -hmm. their family members and the people around the team, the owners should be worried. You know, most of them are over the age of 50. Um, so that's going to be a higher risk probably than the actual athletes, although there is still a risk. We know that it's not all young people are immune. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. It's, but they, I know that they, I do feel good that they are taking extreme measures to protect them. Um, the expense of it is unbelievable, you know, and, and you can see where, um, the demand is, you know, to have football and to have pro sports this year, but they, they are really doing, I think, a good job at trying to minimize, minimize problems. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm impressed at the effort as well. Um, mm -hmm. But in the end analysis, when you're playing a contact sport, um, and I won't get into the personal hygiene on the field, <laughs> <laughs> it, it gets pretty challenging not to exchange um, virus load if you if you have if someone on the field has the virus the odds of someone else getting it from them is very very high i can't imagine i i saw this uh this helmet i mean andy what this helmet that the bear is actually <laughs> it looks like some kind of like deep sea diving slash <laughs> motorcycle yeah. gear 
uh, I don't know if they could even produce enough of those to play for a whole day. But I mean, can that really be what we're going to see this year? I mean, what do we? Are, are they working that hard? Yeah. So I was I was going to ask you guys about this whether um, you know some sort of scenario in the NFL where everybody is just decked out in one of those Ladanian Tomlinson face shields. Like, <laughs> is that enough? Like, is is it even possible yeah. to take enough precaut? Like, we've already seen if we start to look at different sports, there's been this disastrous uh tennis tournament the the thing with uh novak djokovic like the the world's best yeah, tennis player right. uh, the whole tournament disregarded uh they it, it, as far as i understand they they did almost everything wrong like if you wanted to design a sports event that that failed to take every necessary precaution and didn't uh, adhere to social distancing or any of the protocols that i think it, professionals agree we should um it failed in a huge way and he's now covid positive and others uh, who attended the tournament are COVID positive. They they partied at a nightclub. Like it was, it was an unbelievable display of of uh, negligence. Uh, it, we've seen that, and then, and then we have what the NBA is doing, which is remarkable. If they like, if they actually pull this off and and put everybody in a bubble, like twenty two teams in a bubble for an extended period of time. But even then, like maybe that's not workable for the NFL because the NFL is rosters are four times as large as what we see in the NBA coaching staffs are larger. Everything is larger. Um, plus it, even if you wanted to put the NFL in a bubble, what the NBA is doing is they're putting everybody there to begin with. And then the playoffs start almost immediately. So people are leaving the bubble constantly and it's going to get smaller and smaller. And they've, they're, they're just going to have a smaller population than we would see in the NFL. Like is, but is that the safest way to do it? Like what the NFL is talking about doing where um, it, it, not only are we playing in stadiums across the country, but apparently different cities, different teams are, are going to default to like whatever the local community standard is for fan attendance and, and such. That to me seems a little risky. Um, I, so I was wondering your thoughts on that generally. Aren't the Bears planning on having uh, fans? I mean, they they remain optimistic, and I think the word was confident that they're going to have yeah. fans in the stands. The the NFL generally is projecting a great deal of confidence right now, which is I, yeah. like perhaps they should <laughs> in general. But how do you you know how do you play football without touching your face periodically? It, to me, it seems like it's it, once again there's no precautions you can put in place that can prevent. Um, a high likelihood of communicability on the field. Um, hand sanitizer is going to be uh, critically important. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, they've gone over the top. And, and, and I actually had a conversation with Mark Tatum about the NBA a couple weeks ago. Uh, and they have like a 112-page medical document that it goes into so much detail. The planning that went into the NBA season is incredible. And they have the ability to create a bubble. The NBA doesn't have that possibility. Um, and, in you know, take, for example, the fact that right now, Florida, California, Texas, and Arizona are having massively rising numbers. We had 48,000 people positive in Friday or so. Um, that's not really happening in some other states, right? So there's going to be this big disparity in the risk that each team is facing. It's handicapping them, right? So, I mean, what do you, I mean, Sarah, what do you think? I mean, do you think that there's going to be some differential risk that each team is facing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Depending on their conference and where they're playing most of their games. 
Um, and if they're in a hot spot or not, you know, I wouldn't want to be playing right. for the Arizona Cardinals right now, you know, or in Texas, hmm. in any city, right. you know, right. so it's, it's, a. Uh, you know, I, I think we all want there to be football and want them to be healthy, but it, but it's a risk. It's a huge risk. We're, we're rolling the dice. Um, clearly, people are going to get sick along the way. So there there's a measured risk that they're taking um, and that the athletes are taking, you know, um, to continue the sport right now. Um, some politicians, I think, would say, at least in California, our governor for a while was saying there will not be football this fall in California. Now he's reversed that. Now he's like, well, maybe we're going to have football. It seems like there's been a big shift in the mental thinking between May and June. And now, of course, all the college kids are back doing voluntary workouts um, and they're making progress to proceed. I have heard that the NFL has not decided on their, you know, they're still trying to figure out the fine details. You know, the NBA, again, I, I have their document. I was looking at their documents they're really on it. And again, they have a much smaller cohort of players they have to control. The NHL is really on it. Again, a 32-person roster as opposed to, you know, 52 on the team. And they're going to have a very shortened season having the bubble concept. The NFL still has a lot of kinks to work out. And I think it's changing. I mean, we what we think is happening today may not be happening in mid-July. You know, they might... Right. Yeah. have to adapt. So that's, that's, what's scary about, you know, what's happening. And I'm sure they're feeling that too. Well, we think it's going to be this way, um, but maybe it's going to change. So particularly depending on the locales, I mean, if, yeah. if those Southern States get as bad as the epidemiologists and physicians think they're going to get, then you have an overload and it's like New York in April, you know, happening in multiple States, there's going to be a pause button. So that's, that's where we don't, there's, there's a lot unknown. I hope it happens. I'm hopeful. <laughs> so, Dr. Edwards, you you work closely with um, both a football team, a fall outdoor sport, and a and a hoops team, a, a winter indoor sport. What mm-hmm. what sort of differences uh, uh, when you talk about precautions, like with each of these coaches, with athletic directors? What are the sort of differences that you're talking about in in terms of how a locker room should look, how practices should look, um, what what game days are going to look like? It's a huge challenge. It's an absolutely huge challenge. And again, you have to understand we're coming from the Bay Area where we're we're still technically, Andy, under a shelter-in-place lockdown here. So we are technically, I think, Greg, our our, uh, Dr. Horner and I are both Bay Area physicians, and we are still not supposed to be in a group of over six people, you know, (laughs) so or 12 people. 12 is our limit. So you can imagine a practice (laughs) for football is really hard to imagine. Um, so one of the teams I'm advising now, uh, we are literally having a, a weekly call where it's changing every week. On, and a lot of it is based on our local public health advisors. And, it, and what I will say is the co- it's extremely frustrating for the coaching staff who's in a conference where the other teams that they're going to be playing are in an area where they can practice freely and have larger oh, groups. Sure. You know, it's there's such a disparity and what's allowed by the teams across the country, there's some parts of the country, like the little, the little league teams are back. They've got high school football starting in Kansas. You know, we're here, you know, we again, can't have a group of kids over, over 12 in the same area. So, so there's really, they're really struggling on how to let people proceed and practice 
following the local health guidelines. So it's a challenge. It's it's extremely challenging. I think locker room sanitation is huge. They're having um, even training room. Normally the training rooms are kind of mobbed after practice. And now we're talking about limiting training room capacity to four kids at a time. And they have to have set appointments. Normally it's just an in and out, very easy flow. They're talking about having people stop showering in the locker rooms, that they have to do all that at home. Hmm. Um, so, which is, <laughs> Greg's thinking about that. I mean, you know, you everybody showers in football or basketball, you know, after their thing, but they're to decrease hygiene issues and spread of germs. Well, you're not going to do that at this school anymore. You're going to do that at home. So there's a lot of different changes. And then of course, there's the same PPE that's needed for the medical staff and potentially the coaching staff. So the personal protective equipment, things like masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, uh, bleach wipes. You know, it's just as hard for the athletic teams to get the bleach wipes than it is for you. If you go to Costco or wherever you're buying them at Target, it's impossible to get paper towels and Clorox. You know, um, it's the same issue for sports teams trying to get it because you're competing with the hospitals. It has to go to the hospitals first <laughs> and the medical clinics. So I don't know. Something something tells me the NFL will get whatever they need. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they seem abundance. to have a magical magical power. But you know, when when you can't get it as a physician for your office, you know, it's uh, hard to hard to you know figure it out. So so there is there has been an effort to get PPE for those schools, you know, and to get the cleaning supplies they need. Um, and there will be. Does- is okay. testing going to have to take place every day? Is it going to take place every three days, every week? What's the Depends obviously, obviously the a level. lot of these schools don't have the resources that the, you know the NFL can print its own money, whatever, and, and I'm sure it's fine, but yeah. not all these schools can do so. Absolutely not. They do not have the resources. There will be at some level a screening check of symptoms is going to occur. So a temperature check. Uh, They can test their pulse ox. So you can test, you know, one of the earliest signs of COVID before people know they have it is that their oxygen saturation will decrease. So if you test their finger, you don't even have to prick it. You just put a little machine on there and it'll tell you how you're oxygenating your lungs. And you should be between 98 to 100% all the time. And people with COVID are walking around at 80%, 50%. They're walking around. It's very odd to us doctors because that normally if you were sitting there at 80%, you would feel very sick and be symptomatic. For some reason with COVID, they're, they don't realize that they're that short, uh, that their oxygen levels are that low until they're very, very far gone. So that's one way they're going to screen. They're going to do temperature checks, symptom checks, and then also oxygen checks on them daily. As far as the actual testing, that's very hard to do. So I know at the... Um, at the professional level, the NHL and the NBA are planning on every other day testing. My sources that are NFL physicians say they are potentially going to test every day. That's at a cost of about $5 million to each team. Okay. Mm. So this is big money, you know, and this is not money that like a junior college team has to spend. Um, This is not money that even a, a normal NC2A, even a big school probably has to spend, even Alabama may not have, I mean, maybe Alabama does, but, you know, school, <laughs> most, most college, you know, football programs don't have that kind of money to do that daily screen, that daily COVID testing, the PCR testing. Um, but they will be just doing probably routine screening. I know the kids coming in are, are getting COVID tests. So if they're coming in from outside, 
the college kids, they are getting tested. This is a division one level. They're getting tested upon um, arrival at campus. And then they're being made to quarantine for 48 hours until that test comes back. And then they're being allowed to join their population. And then from what I understand is then they're just doing daily screening with the athletic trainers where they're getting their symptom checks, but they're not having the PCR done like this, like the pros will. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I have been, my uh, father-in-law is an infectious disease doctor and he's been treating uh, a lot of patients with COVID. Um, and what they're finding is that if you do develop the symptoms and the pneumonia, it causes permanent damage to your lungs. It's not the same as the flu. Not only that, but there's a, a diffuse uh, coagulopathy that occurs, and that leads to um, significant injuries to your heart, kidneys, even your brain, strokes. The stroke rate, there is a stroke rate with the flu, but with the COVID-19, it's far higher. In fact, the first person that we know of dying from COVID-19 in the Bay Area died in uh, Milpitas, and she caught COVID-19 in January, we guess. She got over it. She then died from a heart attack, a 38-year-old woman. She died from a heart attack like three weeks later. So yeah, that's- as it pertains to the athletes, uh, and I'll defer to Sarah next, but, or Dr. Edwards, mm-hmm. but the, these, these, these people, when you're not out of the woods, like even weeks later, you can come up with, and that's how a lot of the young people are dying or becoming injured. Um, it's because of that uh, developing clots uh, elsewhere. Oh, sorry, Sarah, what do you, what do you no, know? What do you, what, I, I, I've heard the same thing, Greg, and that that's, um, what I've heard from a lot of the intensive intensivists and intensive care doctors that are taking care of a lot of COVID is that they're getting them through the lung part. If they survive the lung part, many of them are having a heart attack or going to this cardiac arrhythmia. Their hearts are dilating. They're getting cardiomyopathy. Um, all of these things are, are devastating for a young person and many of them leading on to death five weeks, eight weeks out, three months out. So that's where... I noticed the NBA addressed this because they. I was curious, like, what what happens if these guys get sick while they're playing, and then they're making them go through this rigorous cardiac testing? Again, this virus is so new; we don't know. In one, should they even be allowed to return to sport? Should yeah. you know? Because can That's they are they point. at risk of their of having a cardiac event while they're playing? Like, we do not know that. And and the athletes, you know, I'm sure terrified. You know, it's scary for them because. Obviously, this is their livelihood, but, you know, is it worth dying for? I'm sure most of them would say no. You know, they'd give it up in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, no, it is. It is affecting all these different organ systems, just like Greg said. So the heart stuff is actually a little bit scarier and the risk of stroke down the road. Stroke. Yeah, Yeah, because they're getting they're getting blood clots uh, at a very unusual rate. And then it's attacking their their micro vessels in their body. So it's. It's really, it's not the flu. You know, this is not a flu. Anyone who says, oh, this is just a glorified flu. Absolutely not. We know that it's way more than that. It's why everyone's dying from it. But it's um, its not something you want to catch. That's why I get a little upset when I see the young people yeah. like minimizing, oh, well, they're just young. They'll get it and get over it. We don't know that. You know, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know that for sure. 
Um, yeah, because we talked about that, right? We talked. We 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 didn't get into the people who uh, get the antibody test and then they feel like they're in the clear. Invincible. Mm-hmm. The question is: Should if you've had COVID, should you be playing sports, or you know, for the next yeah. three months, should you be super careful because uh, you get clots when you play sports? The impact, the injuries, uh, could that be worsened? We don't know. We do know for a fact that they're getting muscular injuries even more than strokes and heart attacks and other injuries. They're developing clots in muscles. Whereas, well, you'll just have like an aching muscle for a while. But imagine if that's your hamstring or something like that. That would not be a great thing to have, you know, an unknown ischemic event in your muscle. We don't have, there's no data on that whatsoever. There's no way to know. So, you know, Andy, in preparation for this, I talked to, you know, my my old partner who's the doctor for the Giants. I talked to one of my buddies who's uh, the Texan stock, the Bears stock, you know, the Blackhawks stock. These are all friends of mine. And I will tell you that everyone is terrified. The doctors. Everyone is like, this is rolling the dice. Everyone is extremely, the anxiety level, I've never, I've never seen it like this, where all, all these huh. team doctors are afraid um, of what's going to happen to the athletes. I mean, our, our interests need to be always with the athlete. And I think everyone feels everything's pushing forward in interest of the business side of it. We get it. Like I get it. I want there to be football. I love football, but everyone is seeing all these unknowns and just like, wow, this is really scary. Like, could these guys die? Sure. Like we don't, we don't know. So, um, well, even, even on the business side, it's such a different discussion between, um, college sports and, uh, like if you're an NFL player, you're an NBA player, you have a very limited window in which to make all of the money that you will ever make in the world. And so I understand the, the players and the owners wanting jointly to proceed. It's gotta be weird at the college level where you must have players who are like, nobody's paying me. Um, Did you see, did you see the document UCLA put out? Did you guys see that? No. UCLA last week, um, third, I think it was 32 of their football players signed a letter essentially saying they, the protections they wanted and that they did not feel safe coming back this soon. Mm. And, you know, they were defying all these local things that are going on. LA is obviously having a big spike of COVID right now. And that they wanted a third-party medical system to come in and make sure things are being done right, because they didn't trust that it was being done right. So, and and I, it's interesting that it's the first one we've seen where the kids actually spoke up and were like, hey, we're scared. Like, this isn't okay. And, um, you know, if we get sick from COVID, they said, we want to be protected for the rest of our life. We want to be. Yeah. Switch. Right. Yeah. So that's like Northwestern yeah. where they demanded to have workers. Medical comp, care. Right? You got to have mm-hmm. medical care. Is it workers comp? It'll, it will be in the NFL, but would it be for these athletes in college? No, they're just going to be on their own. Imagine you have a big heart attack and, you know, like become mm-hmm. maimed another way, stroke or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is that worth the risk? If I was a college football player now, mm-hmm. right. I'd, I would be very leery of playing. We, we also have people who are going into free agent seasons who are like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, right. <laughs> I'm not going to put anything at risk yeah. uh, over the next month or so right. Um, right. And, right. and potentially derail my next contract. That, yeah. that's, all, that's definitely occurred in the, in the NBA. Like uh, one last question mm-hmm. that I guess I would have for you guys, like the, 
there are a lot of athletes in the NFL, in, in college football, in football generally, who are not like, if you just saw them out on the street, you wouldn't say, well, that is a really fit person. Right. Um, there, there are, there are some NFL players who may fall into a risk factor for at least what I understand to be a risk factor for, for COVID certainly like they would fit the clinical definition. I would think of obesity, right? Yeah, like for sure. Are, are those, oh, the line, are those I, folks? I totally worry about the linemen. Yeah. That have an extra hundred pounds yeah. on their frame. No, that's, it's clear. And there's also, I mean, having done thousands of physicals on those guys, I mean, what do you think, Greg, 10 to 20% of the team has asthma at one time. They yeah. have sickle, sickle cell trait on the team, which is, you know, yeah, and the sickle cell trait is probably something that's just not in any way been studied adequately in for COVID nineteen because that puts you at a massive risk, right? Massive risk, uh, massive, massive risk. risk. Yeah, and uh, right, like every year, like uh, at least three or four players get concerned about going up to Denver. Imagine they're concerned now. You know what I mean? So right. So yeah, no, I mean these are they're big issues, and and there's no answers because it's so new. There's really no long term data. So. Uh, but I will tell you that I've never seen doctors that take care of teams so anxious, like, cause it's just changing every day. And, you know, there's this push to get people back, but should we be back? Should we not? And kind of depends on where you're from and the part of the country too. But it's, uh, I think it'll be interesting. It's going to be an interesting season. <laughs> should we, should we feel better about football generally? Because it is uh, with the exception of a handful of teams, a handful of schools, um, it is, it is an outdoor sport. Like uh, I've become conditioned over the last few months to feel much safer when I am outside than when I am inside, especially when I am around other people. And yet at the same time, like there's, there's 10 people who are just actively fighting at any given moment in an NFL game. Right. And the contact is close. It's, it's almost intimate and it is repetitive. So there's some, you know, there's some duration, uh, uh, to worry about there. And if, if anybody on the field is sick, um, is there any reason to feel better about the outdoor sports than the indoor sports? I absolutely feel better about outdoor sports, but not football <laughs> because okay. of the, the close contact. Um, you know, they're piling on each other on a tackle. You got 10 guys or, you know, right. five guys on the ground breathing on each other. That's about as close as you can get. Um, it is good. They're outside. Except that, you know, for the fans, I think it makes a big difference because when you're outside, yes. the wind is generally going to make a big difference in, um, you know, how much viral load you might get exposed to if somebody is near you. Um, so yeah, I, I think for the fans, I'd much rather be outside in a football stadium than inside. And in, say, for example, if it were possible, a basketball game. I would agree with that. I want to be respectful of, uh, of your time, both of you, because you've been, you've been really generous with it so far. I'm just wondering if I can ask you guys to both either dispel or confirm uh some widespread worries that i have seen about face coverings and mask wearing uh if i can throw a few things at you sure i like we keep seeing all these uh all these clips all these video clips of like screamy folks at uh city council meetings and the like right that are that are worried about face coverings being harmful in some way that they can uh that they can deprive us of oxygen. I assume that both of you, when you perform <laughs> surgery, wear face masks and you don't pass out from oxygen deprivation. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Uh, and 
I don't know, I do hand surgery mostly, so my cases are shorter, but I've done replants that can take six hours. We sit there with a mask on the entire time. And I have never heard of any staff or doctor anywhere in my 30 years in medicine uh, having any issue at all with wearing a mask. So I, I think it's just absurd. I agree. It's comedy. It's very interesting to me, this fear of the mask. People are so afraid. and Fear of the mask. <laughs> I know. And the, the data is clear that it decreases transmission. I will tell you, at the beginning of COVID, when, the, when there was all this, um, I don't know if you remember, the Surgeon General came out because there was a shortage of masks available to healthcare providers. So there was a message at first, please don't wear masks. Please don't hoard the masks. Yeah because they were trying to gather them for the doctors, okay? And that was making me so anxious. I'm like, what do you mean we don't need masks? And, and even the doctors were getting, um, some doctors were getting sanctioned at work if they were trying to wear masks when they were in clinic because they felt uncomfortable. So that went on late February, early March. There was this messaging, even to us from our hospital administrations, you don't need a mask. You don't need a mask. That is clearly incorrect. And I think most doctors became very, um, were very upset about that messaging because we were the ones in the line of fire going, what do you mean we don't need masks? Of course we need masks. So yes, we are pro masks. They do not cause oxygen deprivation. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not going to overwhelm us with carbon dioxide. They are not repositories for deadly no. bacteria, anything like that. We shouldn't be worried about those things. No, we wear them all day long, most days of the week, and it's fine. <laughs> I feel like you guys are downplaying the emasculation issue for a certain sort of uh, male. Uh, can can prolonged mask wearing lead to lead to low T, which I believe <laughs> to be the leading cause of death of American men? Is that not right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a new uh, one. I don't that that one. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to come up with all the reasons that, that I can imagine anybody not wearing a mask, which is clearly for the no, public There's good. no reason to not we wear should, a mask. And in we fact, should somehow flip that, that it like helps you have a, a stronger erection, and then maybe guys can wear it. <laughs> <laughs> could switch that. Right. And we should, yeah, well, let's just start some like absurd. Start like, it. Start it from op us. Dr. Edwards says. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> Let me throw one at you, Andy, before we get off. What about the street free agents and you know, one whose last name starts with a K? Are are people gonna get brought onto rosters just to um particularly in a like quarterback, you can't afford for <laughs> you lose two quarterbacks, your team is done, right? So No, it is it is a it is a really good question. I like I hate to um I hate to reduce the, the a big and important conversation in a time of pandemic to like fantasy spin, right? But um but there is a sports conversation here, and, and Bruce Arians has already talked about how they're probably going to carry a third quarterback who they isolate from the rest of the team, right? Um, because you, you have this issue in the NFL and obviously in other sports, but like if they have position meetings and they have position rooms, and if this virus um, catches hold within a position room, like all of all of your linebackers can be positive simultaneously like your whole quarterback room can be positive simultaneously so this is this is definitely i mean we we see what mlb is doing right now right they've expanded rosters throughout the season cuz they know they're got like i i don't i don't you guys can tell me if i'm wrong but i feel like the um 
I, I feel like COVID positivity is going to be the number one reason for missed games across almost every sport, except maybe the NBA, maybe the NBA can get this under control in their bubble. But like in MLB and the NFL, th this is going to be on top of all the other injuries that we have throughout the course of normal season. Um, th this is going to be the number one reason for missed games in all likelihood, because we, we probably Seems have like to it. require people to sit not only when they have it, but when they've been exposed to it. So we're going to see, a, I mean, the, the number of players who are going to make appearances in NFL games this year, it, especially if we get a full 16 game season, as we all hope we will, um, it, it's going to be a crazy number. I don't like, I don't know if it's going to be 30% more. I don't know if it's going to be 50% more, but, um, there, there are going to be a lot of people who are probably going to have to miss some games just due to exposure to the virus and that, yeah, for sure. We're going to see a lot of blast from the past names. We're going to see the maybe the the Canadian Football League is going to be rated like <laughs> there's, this is going to have an arena league look to it sometimes, I fear. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think they're going to need like a whole nother string of of people. And what, what's interesting from the hospital perspective, again, at UCSF, we are setting up very strict regulations. So so we have half the sports team works while the other half is out. Half the trauma team works while the other half is out. And we try to minimize contact to the staff because we can't have the whole trauma team go out. So the NFL needs to think the same way. So, so what you're saying is great. You know, they need to have another quarterback or, or probably split the first and second string teams completely and have them sleep in different places. Have them separated. separated. Keep them separated. Because if you're right, if one quarterback gets exposed, if Tom Brady gets hurt, then you know, you have to have your backup, you know, ready to go and not exposed, you know, in a different location. So uh, they need to think about that. It sounds like they street, are. street free agents, right? So mm -hmm. those guys should be very careful to stay home right now and be ready right. because this could be a huge opportunity for folks. And Kaepernick, uh, someone's got to <laughs> pick him on a team. Come on. Like if you're going to pick someone off the street at some point, Get him early. <laughs> yeah, honestly, given, you know, a little bit of editorializing here, but given where Colin Kaepernick sits in terms of like various all-time lists and, and what he has already accomplished in the league, it it shouldn't take a global pandemic to get him on a roster, I guess is how I feel. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, well, you both have been super generous with your time today. Um, you both have uh, presumably limbs to operate on and fix and people to help. <laughs> so I am not going to I'm not going to take any more of your time. It has been a total pleasure talking to you both again. I appreciate your thoughts, not only on injury risk this season and covid this season, but also clarifying uh, some points on mask wearing, which is just, again, people. It is for the public good. Do it. Mask up. Um, I, I want to thank you both again. Uh, folks, that is going to be it for another Yahoo Fantasy Football pod. Huge thanks to these doctors. Huge thanks to our producer, Raghu, who is doing this for us on a Sunday. Uh, you guys can follow us at Yahoo Fantasy. Uh, we would encourage you, as always, rate and review the show. You know that drill. Um, also, check out the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast with my good friend, Scott Pianowski. Check out the Yahoo Football pod with Charles Robinson, Therese Paler. Uh, really appreciate it again, doctors. Uh, that is it. Until next time, we are out. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.